All right, let's grab our Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. The title of my message today is Rise Above Temptation. We're in a brand new series on the book of James. It's called Faith in Action. People love the book of James because it's one of the most practical books of the Bible. It was written by one of the earthly brothers of Jesus named James. James was a skeptic turned believer when his crucified brother suddenly appeared to him as risen and alive from the dead. James was never the same after that moment. He became a great pastor in the city of Jerusalem, which was the center of early Christianity. And uh, he wrote this letter to help scattered believers to live out their faith. And uh, James, of course, writes... Uh, with, with a voice that, that just rings true to the heart and words of Jesus. Now last week, if you're just joining us, we talked about some of the trials and temptations that go through, that we experience in life, and life is hard. James encouraged us to count it all joy when we go through various trials. I don't know if you counted your trials joy this week, uh, but we can because every test, every trial is an opportunity with God to grow. We can grow stronger. We can grow wiser. We can grow clearer about what matters most in our life. So on that level, James says, we can rejoice when we go through trials of various kinds because we're deepening our relationship with God. It, uh, we're uh, growing in our faith. Now today we want to discuss another trial, another kind of trial, and it is the trial of temptation. And uh, we all face temptation in life. And we want to talk about how we can overcome it. I heard a story about a minister. And he parked in a no parking zone in the downtown of a large city. He left a note on his windshield and said, Officer, I've been driving around the block ten times. And... Uh, if, if I'm any more late, I'm going to miss this appointment. And then in big letters underneath, he said, forgive us our trespasses. Oh, very sweet minister. Well, when he got back from his meeting, he came to his car and he saw a ticket on his windshield. And there was a note from the officer. It said, sir, I've been driving around this block for 10 years. And if I don't give you a ticket, I could lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been a Christian, how many Bible verses you know by heart, we all face temptation. Temptation can come in many forms. We're, we can be tempted with the words we're going to speak, tempted about the food we eat, tempted about websites we visit, maybe tempted about whether or not we're going to forgive somebody who hurt us. Temptation is common. Because we all deal with it, and I deal it too, with it too, let's hear what James has to say about how we rise above. How do we gain victory over the temptations in our lives? So we study a passage today. It's going to give us a lot of insight, number one, into how temptation works, and number two, how we win the victory. How do we overcome temptation? 
So hear the word of the Lord. James 1, verses 13 through 18. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away and by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Take a moment and join me in prayer as we open. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. and want to give you thanks for the goodness in our lives. Truly, we're blessed to be here this morning to hear from you, to hear your scripture taught, and I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in victory over temptations in our own lives. God, thank you for the power of Christ and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're talking about how do we rise above temptation. And the first thing that you and I need to do is understand it. See, number one, James says temptation is deceptive. It, it, it attracts us like a, like a gravity force field towards uh, things that are not good for us. So how do we break free? James begins with the source. We need to understand temptation and how it works. And, and James starts with this. Temptation doesn't come from God, but it comes from our own inner desires. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And so we're going to be tempted. And when we are tempted, James says, we should not blame God. We cannot blame God because God is not tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. We cannot say, God is tempting me. He made me this way. He gave me these feelings. He put me in this situation. I was like born this way. No. Right? Remember when Adam uh, was tempted? I mean, this story goes as old as humanity, actually. When Adam was tempted, he gave in to that temptation, and God shows up. The very first thing Adam says is he blames God. He says, oh, it was the woman that you gave to me. You made me do this, God. The woman you gave to me, he doesn't take ownership and responsibility for his choice and his decision. No, God is not tempting us. Does God test us? Help me out, church. Does, God, does he test us? Sometimes he'll put us in a test. God may test you, but God will never tempt you. And there's a huge difference between the two. See, a test, we saw last week, is designed to develop you, but a temptation is designed to destroy you. And in that moment, 
we need to remember this powerful truth that God does not tempt and God does not deceive. Temptation does not come from God. Where does temptation come from? What does James say? Look at verse, verse 14. <clears throat> but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. So temptation comes from what? James says it comes from our own evil desires. The desires to do wrong are where? In us. In us. The cause lies within ourselves. James gets this idea from Jesus. When Jesus said this in Mark 7, 21, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. Hey, just because your heart desires something doesn't mean it's good. Your heart desires that relationship. It desires to spend your money this whatever it is james is saying don't be deceived because out of our heart comes all kinds of evil thoughts evil desires uh, we all have hearts that are sinful and desires that are evil temptation is common to all J jeremiah says it this way he says the heart is deceitful above all else it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And God understands that. And so we want to take our desires. We want to test them with the word of God. We want to test them with the truth of God's word. He will not lead us astray. But temptation is common to all. I, I want to start and clarify something really important for us as we talk about temptation. To be tempted is not a sin. Did you guys know that? Just to be tempted. Some, some people say, oh, I, I'm feeling tempted. I've already failed. I've already sinned. No, no, no. Remember, Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. I, I love how, I, I think it was Martin Luther. He said, um, can't control the birds that fly over my head, but I can stop one from building a nest in my hair. That's kind of a strange picture, but it's very memorable, right? Like, temptations are going to come our way. We can't always control the temptations that swirl in our thoughts, but we can control what we do with those temptations. And, and temptation's not a sin. To act on the temptation is a sin. So I think that's an important clarification. So James says, temptation starts with our inner desires. What does it do next? Temptation deceives us, and it lures us in. This is verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. James deliberately uses the language of, like, fishing and hunting. Anyone here like to fish? Got some fishermen, some yeah, outdoorsmen. Okay, I, I would consider myself to be an avid indoorsman. Uh, give me a cup of coffee, a good book. I'm pretty happy. 
but, uh, which is strange. I'm born and raised in Colorado. I have a lot of friends that love to fly fish. And in fact, uh, as a boy, my grandpa taught me to fish, which was really cool. I remember going out to the lake, and uh, I quickly learned you can't just throw a hook in the water and expect to catch a fish. I'm not going to go for that. My grandpa, who was an expert fisherman, taught me that to catch a fish, you need to put bait on the hook. And the fish sees the bait, but not the hook. And temptation works the same way. The enemy is going to show you the bait and try to hide the hook. But there's always a hook when it comes to temptation. And it's much better to shun the bait than to struggle on the hook. What happens when we give in to temptation? James explains what, what, <laughs> what explains next, what happens if we take the bite. If we give in to our temptation, we will experience sin and death. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. A proverb says there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. And for some, that might be actual death. Couldn't kick the habit. For others, it could be relational death. It might be financial death or emotional death or spiritual death. Sin separates us from God. Sin gives birth to death. Now, God doesn't give us boundaries and rules because he hates us, but because he loves us. I, our family lives on a very busy road, and we will literally draw a line on our driveway as our kids are riding their bikes and just say, you cannot go past this line. The road is too busy. We don't draw those lines because we are mean parents. We draw those lines because we deeply care about our children. And God is the same way. He loves us. He knows that sin has consequences that can affect us, our lives, our children, our family, our future. So he cares too much. Sin is never worth it. Todd Wagner writes this. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I've experienced that. We all know what it's like. Now, can God forgive that sin? Absolutely. There's no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And Jesus paid the price for our sins. And by trusting in Jesus, our sin is forgiven. <clears throat> We're cleansed of all unrighteousness. He sets us free from guilt and shame. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that there are no consequences. See, if I, just example, hypothetical. If I, in the process of sinning, were to break my arm, for example. I confess that sin. My sin is forgiven. 
I still have the pain of a broken arm to deal with, right? I need healing. And that can be true in our lives. We sin. We need healing. And God is powerful to heal. He is powerful to restore. He can write a story of redemption in our lives. I believe that. As we turn to God in the midst of that difficulty, it's just going to be difficulty. And James says, we sin, we suffer sometimes. How does temptation work? Temptation is deceptive, and it ultimately leads to death. <laughs> Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. So how do we rise above that temptation and overcome the temptation to sin? And here's my encouragement. I want to fight temptation with this truth. God is better. You guys believe that today? This is the, this is the truth that's going to set us free. God is better. He's better than what's tempting us. He's better than sin. He's, he is plain and simple. God is better. See, we got some young people in the room today and uh, got a great story for all of us. But um, our family was sitting together and we were going to pull up something on the Internet. And I got to tell you, a bad picture showed up like in front of everyone, in front of me, my wife, my kids. Uh, I, I was like quickly trying to close out and fumbling around like it was horrible. Now, praise God. We've already talked to our kids about good pictures and bad pictures and what you do with those. You quickly get away. Tell a caring adult. So parents, if you haven't talked to your kids about good pictures, bad pictures, please do on the way home. Like, what was the pastor talking about? Mom, dad. We had a live example for our family. And in our house, we don't want our kids just to know about the dangers of sin. And of course, sin has its dangers. We talked about that. But we want our kids to recognize that God is better. God has something better for them. Something better for our children. He has something better for our homes and our families. God is better and we fight temptation with that truth. James continues, and he writes about the goodness of God and the goodness of what God's doing in our lives. He says in verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, it doesn't change like the shifting shadows. Earlier, James said, uh, when tempted, we can't say God is tempting me. He's not tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt us. And now we know why. Because God is good. Every good and perfect gift is from above. You think about it, anything good, anything beautiful, anything life-giving, every blessing in our life, our, our kids, our breath, our families, our homes, our finances, it's all coming from above. These are wonderful gifts of God. God is a fountain of good. And James describes the goodness of God like cascading down from the Father of heavenly lights. God is the one who illuminates. He's the one who brightens. He's the one who shines his light into our lives. He says shadows may change. 
But the goodness of God is ever constant. He's good today. He's good tomorrow. He's good forever. He is always, always good. And in moments like this, when we're worshiping and the band is playing, and we experience his goodness, when we are, uh, when we think about the blessings in our lives, we're experiencing his goodness. When we read scripture, we're reminded of his goodness. And I want to encourage all of us today to find those moments where you're discovering the goodness of God because it's there. It's a constant. He's ever good. Jesus also sought to instill in our hearts about the goodness of God. He exclaims in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 11, Few then, though, are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He is a good God, a good Father. He loves you and me. He cares deeply about us. We don't need to give in to these earthly temptations because of who God is. God is good. He is better. That's number one. Number two, God's good. God's doing a good work in our lives. You believe that today? God's at work in your life. He's doing something good. I love this. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So last week, we saw that God gives the crown of life to those who love him. He's talking about the gift of eternal life. God, it talked about how God gives wisdom to those who ask. And here today, James continues talking about how God gives us new birth through the word of truth. What is this new birth? New birth marks the beginning of a new spiritual life with God. We're born again. That's the language. Uh, we, we come alive to a relationship with God through faith in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Our life is transformed. And for me, that happened as a 17-year-old you know, boy discovering that there was a God who loved me. He'd given his life on a cross for my sins. I put my trust in Christ, and my life has never been the same. And a lot of you, that's true for you today too. Maybe you're a young person, right? And you trust in Christ. He re your whole life is redefined because of that faith in Christ. And he calls us here a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Now, first fruits is a, a word in the Bible that refers to the first fruits, the first, the first fruits that appear on the tree. Those are the first fruits. And they were promises of more fruit to come. James says, God's given us birth. He's changed our life through the gospel that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, your changed life is just the tip of the spear of God's transformation of the entire there's a day that's coming where God is going to make all things new. There's going to be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And what he's done in your life, it's just the very beginning of that. He's doing a good work. How could we compromise with sin? Because God is good. He's doing something in our life. James tells us that temptation will try to deceive us. 
He wants us to think it's good when it's not good. But God is good. God's doing a good work in our lives. So we fight temptation with this truth that God is better. He's better. He is. And if anything is coming between me and a closer walk with God, I, don't in, I really don't want it in my life. And neither do you. God is better. Whatever temptation comes our way, there's something in your life right now that's promising satisfaction, promising fulfillment, promising a thrill, a pleasure, uh, uh, whatever that is, a moment of relief and comfort will not satisfy, it will not last. The cost of your obedience to God, I encourage you right now, rise above temptation and walk in victory. Long time ago, I found this, uh, this, uh, article online and it's really encouraged me over the years uh, it's called 35 reasons not to sin i've ever, never really sat down to write out all the reasons not to sin but somebody did they came up with 35 can you believe that that's a lot of reasons not to sin you might want to go online look up 35 reasons not to sin you can look at the whole thing but um here are eight that stood out to me as I looked over that list again this week. And we can reflect on these and meditate on these. Here's just eight. Eight reasons not to sin. Number one, because a little sin leads to more sin. Number two, because the time spent in sin is forever wasted. Number three, because time, in time my sin always brings heaviness to my heart. Isn't that true? You look back, you're like, oh, makes my heart heavy. Number four, because my sin always makes me less of what I could be. My sin deceives me into believing I've gained when I've really lost. Next one, because sin makes light of the cross upon which Christ died for the very purpose of taking away my sin. Next one, because sin steals my reputation and robs me of my testimony. And last one, because I promised God he would be the Lord of my life. Powerful, powerful reasons not to sin. There's a lot more where that came from, 35 reasons not to sin. Sin is the bad news. But the good news is we have a God who loved us so much. He became... One of us in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on our humanity. And Jesus, who was perfect in every way, who was tempted in every way, but did not sin, became the perfect sacrifice on the cross for sins. And he died on that cross so we could be forgiven and free. And God raised him from the dead by his own power and goodness so that all, and that includes you and me, who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there is a crown of life for those who love and trust in Jesus Christ. And I just want to invite you today, if you never put your trust in Christ, doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, you can surrender your life to Christ right now. Receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And if you are a believer in Jesus, that sin is forgiven. It is paid for. 
He took that on the cross. And he paid it all. You're forgiven. You're free. You're cleansed. There's no more guilt. No more shame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.